0: Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you once again asking you to join us here this morning and we trust that you are here among us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So it's that time of year again uh, when... In the search for conversation starters, I'm, I'm starting to hear people transition from, um, so are you from around here, or what do you think about the weather, to um, talking about and asking if or wondering what my New Year's resolutions are. I don't know if you've started to hear this yet. Are you thinking about your... New Year's resolutions, now's the time. We only have a few days left before the new year. I never actually make any uh, resolutions for myself because, well, it's only actually because of I have such a low opinion of my ability to keep them. If I thought I had even a fighting chance, I might try. Um, but I'm the guy who couldn't even give up chocolate for Lent, much less renovate my life for an entire year. I once uh, bragged to Aya about how well my chocolateless Lent was going as I was eating an Oreo McFlurry. (laughs) As it turns out, I was born without any willpower whatsoever, so I don't even bother with New Year's resolutions, but millions do. This year, I'm going to lose those pesky 15 pounds, or 50 pounds, or whatever it is. Do you think it's a coincidence that the uh, monolithic uh, weight loss TV show, The Biggest Loser, started on January 1st every year? This is no coincidence. New Year's is the time when many of us take stock of ourselves, right? We, we turn a critical eye on the you, that, the we, the us that we are, and then we envision the person that we want to be. So around this time, we draft a plan of attack to try to change from the person we are into the person we want to be. And everybody does this, and I think it's certainly more prevalent around New Year's when we sort of make these resolutions, but I think that we're basically all doing this every moment of our lives, thinking about who we are and thinking about then how we can change into who we wish we were. What kind of husband am I? What kind of worker am I? What kind of parent am I? What kind of lover am I? What kind of person am I? And what kind of person should I be? And the fact that we are all asking ourselves these kinds of questions all the time leads to us being offered solutions all the time. Read this book, or join this gym, or come to my club, then things will work out okay. We are, of course, surrounded by these offers all the time, but especially around New Year's. There's a a gym that I saw recently with a sign outside that said, Come in today for a new you. Now that's appealing. And of course, half of the best-selling books on Amazon are either the diet books, self-help books, or some form of Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) Seriously, this is still the truth. I didn't know if you knew that there are like five sequels to Fifty Shades of Grey, but three of the top six best-selling books on Amazon of all time are the first three Fifty Shades of Grey books. You see, people who write the books and come up with the plans and sell the things know that the core of every human being, you and me, is the desire to be something better than we are. Or at least someone sexier than we are. And these opportunities, these self-help books, the gyms, the fantasy fiction play to that need in all of us, the need to be better than we are. And that's why they're so incredibly successful. I bet Fifty Shades of Grey doesn't come off that seller list ever. But why is that? Why are these fantasies of a sexier sex life, a healthier body and a more self-actualized mind, why are they so pervasive? Why are we all so similarly afflicted? And St. Paul tells us in our reading from Galatians this morning, he says that the law is our disciplinarian. The law, he says, tells us what to do And when we mess up, which, of course, we are sure to do, the law is happy to point out our mistakes. This is what we know when we think of the word disciplinarian. Because of the law, then, it's because of this that we feel this disconnect between who we are and who we ought to be. The law shows us who we ought to be and is constantly pointing out who we actually are, and the difference between the two. It's like being sent to the principal's office, right? You get separated from all the other kids. Go stand in the corner. Think about what you've done. It's all the same thing. Think about how much you'd like to be sitting back with your class at this moment, not standing out of the crowd. These are the situations in which we really feel that separation the separation between the you that you are and the you that you wish you could be. Take the gym example, this thing that we're all considering this week. Do we renew that membership even though we never use it? The law of God says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, so treat it accordingly. The law of the world says, be attractive, be physically fit. And so... Faced with these laws, most of us feel a separation. We feel set apart, a distinct difference between the way we are and the way we'd like to be, the way we feel we should be. We agree with these laws, by the way, they're basically true. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But we don't find ourselves able to rest easy in the face of the laws. They make us nervous. They make us feel judged. They are our disciplinarians, like the trainers on The Biggest Loser and yelling at their helpless victims. And we, each one of us, have labored under laws like this, both the laws of God and the laws of man. Paul, though, says that that's why Jesus came, to rescue us, to relieve us from this burden. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. So Jesus comes to redeem us, to rescue us from the laws that life puts upon us, the law of being sexy enough, the law of having the right smartphone for this year, the law of loving your neighbor as yourself, the law of loving God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, The law about having read all the works of classic literature, being able to discuss them. The law of knowing something valuable about politics. (laughs) These laws oppress us. And Paul says that Jesus has come to rescue us from this oppression. So what's the deal? Why are we still tortured about renewing that gym membership every year? Why is Fifty Shades of Grey still selling billions of copies? Why are we still struggling under this weight? I thought we were supposed to be free. Because Paul says we're not under the law. He says, now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. But don't we still behave as though we are? There's not one of us here who doesn't wonder daily about that divide between the person we know we are and the person we know we ought to be. So is Paul lying? Are we actually still under a disciplinarian even though he says we're not? Well. When Paul proclaims that we are no longer under a disciplinarian, he's proclaiming the gospel, right? In very simple terms, he's saying that now that Jesus has come, we don't need to become the person we ought to be in order to be saved. This is sort of a rehashing of Christianity 101. Before Christ, the law was your disciplinarian. It was there to show you when you messed up, when you got off track, and to show you how to get back on track with God. But now, with Christ, faith is enough. Simple, powerful, and wonderful, right? Christ's deeds of power, Christ's holy life, stand in for your weakness and sin and save you. You no longer have to be the person you ought to be in order to have a relationship with a holy God. But just as quickly as we say, yes, thank you, almost as the words are coming out of our mouths, we think to ourselves, no, it can't be true. It's Too good to be true, faith alone can't be enough. And just like that, we become our own disciplinarians. And we, you and I, are harsh judges. We find ourselves wanting in every area of our lives. We are not the husbands we want to be, we're not the wives we wish we were, we're not The fathers, the mothers, the employees, the lovers, the sons, the daughters that we know we ought to be, and we hate ourselves for it. This is why we buy books called things like Becoming a Better You or Your Best Life Now. This is all because we don't really believe that the gospel can be true. We are sure that we still need to earn our place we're sure that something so valuable can't really be free. I remember when I lived in Ambridge, there was this one intersection that featured a giant billboard advertising the U.S. Marines. And this was a strange thing because it wasn't on a highway. It was just at a regular street intersection and it was set very low to the ground. So it sort of filled your field of vision as you were sitting there at the stop sign. And all it had on it was the beautiful, ornate dress sword that the Marines wear and the words... Always earned, never given. Filling your field of view. Always earned, never given. You know what? People eat that up. The Marines know what will inspire people to join up. People love that. That way, when they get the sword, they can say, ha! No one had to give me anything for free. I had to earn it every step of the way. And don't we want this sort of thinking to be true of our Christianity too? So that when it's all over, we can say, ha, in the same way. So that if God says to us, well done, we can shrug our shoulders and say, no problem. It was my pleasure. But look at where this sort of thinking ultimately leaves us. We want to earn our spot, but we live our lives in overwhelming fear that we're not quite getting there, that we're not going to earn the sword, that we'll never actually hear God say, well done. But Paul has an answer for this too. He says that God sent his son so that we might receive adoption as children. And the image that seems appropriate here is one of a wealthy couple going into an orphanage and choosing an infant to bring home with them. The baby is instantly part of their family. All the wealth and privileges of the parents without the pristine upbringing. Right? They are in just because. The child isn't worthy, but it gets the benefits anyway. That seems to be what Paul is saying about our relationship with God. If we get in by adoption through this Jesus Christ, what's the point of continually killing ourselves, trying to earn our place? We're in already. The papers are signed. The deal is done. We are part of the family now. But aren't we a little suspicious of all this? Aren't you afraid that some mistake is going to be discovered? Some clerical error somewhere? Or that the family will realize that they can turn you in for a slightly superior model? So we'd better all be extra good boys and girls. Hadn't we? Because despite all the assurances of love that we read in Scripture we still live under this self-imposed disciplinarian. Our adoptive father says, I love you. And we say, I'm going to try to earn it anyway. Our God, though, is far better than some benevolent adoptive couple. He doesn't just choose us because we're good or attractive, leaving the door open to the possibility that he might reject us if we stop being good or attractive at some point in the future. On the contrary, the almighty God of the universe chooses you when you are needy and sinful and sacrifices everything, his only son, to redeem you. In Titus, Paul makes this clear. He says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Our God chooses us, not because of anything we had done, but because he is merciful. He chooses you, not because you're good, but because he is merciful. And this is the best part. He doesn't just save us, he saves you. Jesus had you in mind as he hung on the cross and shouted, it is finished it is finished for you all the judgment for your shortcomings finished all the fear about your status finished all the dread about your possible separation from God finished you are an adopted child of God. You are his beloved. So you are no longer under a disciplinarian. It is finished. You are no longer a slave, but a child. And on account of Christ, you are free. Amen.